0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. Ah! It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. For the second to last time, oh, well, actually, I guess for the third to last time, right? Because we have a recap. Yeah, we, have the, yeah, we yeah, always yeah, have the recap yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay, anyway. Don't get ahead of yourself. It's, it's winding down, come on. And it has been <laughs> lasting a long time, so I guess that's fair. <laughs> but, you know, in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel like it, though. I would agree with you if it wasn't for the fact that we've gone through all of spring and now half of summer, which that season itself outside of this has felt very long for me. It's been a long season of life, but as far as the game itself and the podcast season uh, goes, no, those two things have not uh, felt long necessarily. That's fair, that's fair. Uh, What I was gonna say is that this is the, uh, for the third to last time in season five of Sacred Realms Pod, um, I am your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby, co-located again, probably gonna be for the foreseeable future, right? Because we're roommates now, Lyndon. How does that feel? Well, let's be clear. You have a different room. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Housemates, I guess, is the okay, correct term there. That's better. I, Colleen- yeah, no, you, you room with your wife. I, uh, I I live in a room in your house. Yeah, Colleen did not approve a bunk bed situation in the master. Not that I would have even asked for that. That's for the best. Yeah. Uh, I would not have approved of a bunk bed situation <laughs> in the master. Let's be very clear. Or look, oh. I love you and I love your wife even more, but bunk beds. Absolutely not. We grew out of those when we were in what middle school. Yeah. Well, we couldn't even put up with each other for the time that we had them. So. I think that was why we hated each other so much. Like sleeping in the same room as you is not a fun time. You snore, you talk in your sleep, lots of things about Klingons and red alerts and which, you know, uh, as a, as if you are a, uh, Avid listener of this podcast, you know we are big Star Trek nerds, and as much as I love Klingons and red alerts, like everybody else, I don't love hearing them at three o'clock in the morning when you're waking up and yelling. So uh, I leave that privilege to your wife now. No, that's fair, and I don't fault you for that at all. Uh, yeah, Matt ha- Matt is uh, is living here in the home with us now. He's uh, he's renting a room from us, and we'll be for a little while. So um, I think definitely the scheduling of recording time should be a little bit easier. That being said, we still started this up at like nine forty five. So well, we're night owls. So- so that kind of tracks in some ways. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, look when when they try to raise my rent for a one bedroom apartment from uh, thirteen hundred a month to eighteen hundred a month, I literally just give the middle finger to the management company and say, "Hey, does anybody have a more affordable living situation?" And uh, seven hundred bucks a month is a is a lot more affordable than eighteen hundred that is how the math works out um yeah that uh, that dfw cost of living situation is currently um not optimal to say the least uh all all those wonderful people from california who are moving here that cost of living is uh is now roughly what you guys were experiencing in a i don't know 40% kind of way <laughs> I, I was going to say i don't <laughs> like think it's like quite 40, that 40% bad. but I, mean, uh, I have co-workers in seattle who are like taking out mortgages on houses just a little bit smaller than this one in the like million dollar range. So like, yeah, I mean, not about that life. No, yeah, no, thank you. Um, all that is to say it's a little crazy, but Hey, uh, Matt, uh, you know, he and I are, we're going to be able to collaborate and strategize on podcast planning in person. So that's exciting, <laughs> which we're hoping will directly translate to a little more sacred realms in everybody's life. So, and if uh, it doesn't, then I'm really sorry for like hyping that up in that way. Right yeah, we're, <laughs> We're, we have ambitious plans that are in the mind cloud. Uh, getting those actually, you know, executed with the busy lives that we have outside of podcasting is a whole nother thing because let's be clear, this is right now a hobby for us. Uh, we don't really make money off of this, so we're not like quitting our day jobs to go podcasting. Uh, but you know, it's a lot of fun, and if we want to do a little bit more with it. Uh, we want to try to find ways to do that within the bounds of reason. I think the key thing is that we always wondered when we started this if there was going to come a point before too, before we got too far into it where we um, were getting a little burnt out, you know? Uh, whether whether the fun of doing the thing could sustain us doing the thing long term. And I think the answer to that question we figured out is a resounding yes, we really enjoy doing this. Yeah, five, five seasons in now, I, there's no stop in sight. Also, I remember our conversations right before we started was... If we're not getting a certain number of listens every week, like, is it even worth the time investment? And uh, we very quickly. Blew past that uh, number that we kind of threw around in our heads and have been getting a really good following. And, you know, we have said a lot of times on this show in, in previous episodes, and, and we've, we're going to say it over and over again as uh, you guys continue to blow us away with your support on social media, on Patreon, on uh, all the various platforms in which you can listen. You know, we're we're constantly impressed and and humbled by how much you guys appear to enjoy the show. So as long as you guys are still enjoying it, we'll keep making it. Uh, Absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, Oh, man. Matt, what all's been going on for you since uh, we talked last week? I know we, we were both, I think, a little bit less pinched to get this section of game done than we were last week's chunk, so... Oh, a lot less for sure. Um, I mean, you know, work real life, uh, moving into the guest bedroom over here. All of that's been kind of taking place. Luckily moving from an apartment where my lease isn't up for another month. Uh, you know, it's been, it's able to stretch that out a little bit. It's not quite as pressing. So, uh, I don't know. It's been, it's been good. Um, Work is still crazy, but I'm getting the impression, uh, the older I get, that work is never not crazy. So uh, we're just trying to have to navigate that. But uh, I don't know. It's been good. I think uh, coming into this section of game, we literally devoted this. We created a whole new episode because uh, going into last week's section, about 10 minutes into playtime, we both looked at each other and said, "Uh, yeah, we're going to need another episode. There's just too much here. And I think that we... Definitely made the right choice there. There's uh, there's a lot to cover, and uh, as beefy as your plot recap was last week, it's another beefy plot recap, and there's a lot to talk about. Good, love it, love it very much. Yeah, I've also had kind of a car- kind of a crazy uh, period of work that's been happening for me. Um, obviously, for anybody who doesn't know, if you're kind of tuning in you know, on a more recent basis, I um, I am a employee, a video game developer, Bungie. I am a coworker of Max Nichols, frequent contributor on this show. Um, I'm a graphic designer at Bungie, and I work on Destiny Two. And uh, anyone who plays Destiny Two, or actually even if you don't play Destiny Two, I think that game is probably big enough to wear um, you know, most people kind of have a knowledge of like the sort of game that it is, the way that it works. Um, but we operate on a seasonal basis. And uh, so my entire team just had our big deadline for all of the artwork that's due for the coming up season that has not been like revealed or anything yet. But like we you know, we have to get all that done pretty far in advance. And so last week was a pretty crazy one for me just in terms of work as well. For sure. Yeah, I I don't work in anything quite so glamorous. I work in e-commerce and logistics for a client who unfortunately I legally can't disclose who my client is. But uh, um, it's It's been a crazy, really, couple of months. Um, Luckily, it looks like the the back half of July is going to be a little less crazy, so hopefully we'll have a little more time to focus in on, on gaming and some hobbies and just getting a little bit settled down. Uh, after a really rough uh, two months or so, mm-hmm. um, so yep. looking forward to hopefully a little bit of downtime. But uh, you know, it is summer, and so you and I have both been spending a lot of time uh, with family at the pool, by the grill, watching Formula out. One. Oh, lots of Formula Star One, Star Trek. Uh yeah, it's a, it's the golden era of Star Trek, Lyndon. Let's let's be very clear about that. I think I think we can pretty easily say this is at least the second golden age of Star Trek. I mean, yeah, I was going to say the golden age of Star Trek is a high bar, but uh, with one season of Strange New Worlds in the books, I can confidently say that I think that that is is probably the overall strongest first season of a Star Trek show ever, and I highly recommend it. It's a great, great show. that is not a high bar, so, but, (laughs) (laughs) but even with that not being a high bar, I think it's just a fantastic first season of a show in general. Uh, Star Trek fans will love it. I think it really scratches an itch that some of the newer shows really haven't. It's more episodic, less serialized, and uh, just it's very, very good. The cast is excellent. Anson Mount as Captain Pike is really just a gold star in casting um, so phenomenal Rebecca Romijn as Una number one is amazing as well like the whole ensemble cast that they have for that show is really really phenomenal yeah okay so one rapid fire just a few small rapid fire questions to ask you because I don't think that the uh, I don't think that our listener base probably crosses over with a uh, formula one fandom all that much but a few rapid choir rapid fire questions for you okay. yes let's go okay uh, who is the who, who takes the world drivers championship at the end of this season of formula one uh max verstappen because ferrari can't get their together cool who comes in fourth fourth um i'm gonna go with uh george russell I would I would have picked George as well, although Mr. Consistency. Yes. Although I think that uh, Lewis is kind of coming alive and Lewis is finally getting the hang of the car, which I'm happy for him. He seems like a really good dude. And now that he's not the Tom Brady of Formula One, meaning he's not winning every single race, uh, I actually am enjoying watching him uh, race in that fifth, sixth, fourth, third uh, era, not middle of the pack, but, you know, top middle. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. Who do you think has the most DNFs at the end of the season? Either Joe Guan Yu or. uh, Poor Joe. Or your boy Pierre. Oh, man. I mean, the smart money was on Nicholas Latifi, but. Well, I think Nicholas Latifi is just going to consistently come in like close to last 20th. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Poor poor Williams. (laughs) They can't get it together. They can't. Formula One is great. If you you are interested in racing at all, um, watch Drive to Survive on Netflix because it's a good, like, It's a good um, getting into that world. Yeah, I mean, I would say I would say even if you're not all that interested in racing right now, Drive to Survive has gotten a ton of people hooked on Formula One to the point that the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin was the most attended race in the history of F1 last year. So uh, I think if you if you just like drama, if you like good TV, the Netflix series Drive to Survive is fantastic and Mm -hmm. uh, gets you into a sport that's not Super sporty. Yeah, well, I mean, Formula One is traditionally, I think, a very European sport, and it's catching on in a big way in the States right now. For sure. It's a lot of fun. We enjoy it. Uh, Highly recommend. If you don't, that's fine. Yeah. I know we're all here to talk about Zelda, so I think we should probably (laughs) segue not so gracefully into Uh, actual Zelda, which is what everybody who listens to our podcast is here for. If you're interested in any of the other things, we uh, can always put out some good recommendations for other pods for, you know, Star Trek or uh, Formula One. There are good pods out there for both of those things. 1000% that is true. Well, with that said, let's get into a little bit of housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and drop our hot takes if that sounds fun to you. Please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button and be sure to leave us a review five star reviews they are greatly appreciated and they have a chance to get a shout out here on the show if you want more sacred realms in your life you can head over to patreon.com sacred realms pod to get access to listener mail vote on what game we play next and so much more um one uh, additional benefit that we do offer to patrons is that master sword patrons and above get their names read every week here on the show Those legendary individuals are loading. Loading is not one of the individuals. <laughs> they they do not contribute to our podcast now. Uh, those legendary individuals are Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Leviticus, Melanie, Koku, Rowan, Joshua, Nick, Hyrule Podcasters. Podcasters. Keep it going, Pod, Dante, Jep, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, aka Max Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. We could not make this podcast without your generous support. We appreciate it very much. Uh, We've been going for a little while, and we've had like a very solid crew of regulars who have been on board um, this whole time from the very beginning. So, uh, yeah, our our gratitude is immense. Um, We don't have any gratitude crystals to give you. Oh, that was a good. That was a good little thing you did there. I liked Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. There's not. A, there's, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a Satan man living underneath of our home who is like going to turn back into a human if we get enough gratitude crystals. Yeah, but neither of us are Satan men. Which no. Yeah, we're yeah no no no. That's not no. How that's it is. not true. All right. But Um, before we move on from housekeeping in general, something fun coming y'all's way with the help of one of our wonderful patrons, Haru the Mighty, has done us a huge favor and has helped us set up a Discord server for Sacred Realms Pod. We will be publishing some more information about that uh, within the coming week or so. Uh, So if you are at all interested in joining our uh, ever-growing or now-growing online community Mm -hmm. outside of Patreon (laughs) – And Twitter and Instagram, which you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, at Sacred Realms Pod. Uh, We will have a Discord server up and running hopefully within the next week. And a big shout out again to Haru the Mighty for helping us set that up because Lyndon and I know nothing about Discord. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And please, uh, once we have that up and running, we will post all of the uh, pertinent details on our Twitter and Instagram so you guys can get involved and uh, hop on and start discussing the episodes, the games, uh, fan theories, etc., And, you know, as some people do, uh, tell us how wrong we are about some things. So uh, looking forward to that absolutely that is the goal for this coming week Uh, one other reminder this episode as Matt mentioned just a minute ago um, is kind of an extension on the season Uh, originally this week we were supposed to be recording Hyrule Castle and the finale of Breath of the Wild then we figured that we've got a little bit more game than we could uh, fit into just that one episode so we extended by a week Uh, this week uh, we're tying up some loose ends next week is going to be Hyrule Castle with Max Nichols and then the week after that will be our, uh, our traditional recap episode in which we Break down our final thoughts and feelings on this game and then rank it against the other games that we've played. I actually had a thing that I was doing the other day, Matt, where I was going back through and I was like, I really need to now that we're like five games in, I need to keep track of. The- we should probably write it down somewhere. And I did. I oh, did. you did. Look at you. Yes, absolutely. I actually did the research. Yes, the ranking as it currently stands is number four, Link to the Past, number three, Link's Awakening, number two, Skyward Sword, and number one, Ocarina of Time. So in that recap episode, Breath of the Wild will get stacked up against those four options, and we will see where it lands. And as we've stated before, uh, Link. Link's Awakening being number four on that list is not a dig against Link's Awakening whatsoever. Link to the Past is number four. On Sorry, that. Link to the Past. Thank you. Uh, Link to the Past being number four is not a dig against Link to the Past whatsoever. We have played four, now five, of the best Zelda games in the entire franchise. So we're really doing a almost what some people would consider a best of the series in just these five uh, seasons. So, uh, fear not that if you think a Link to the Past deserves to be higher on that list. We still have a lot of games to play and a lot. Lot of games to rank so uh, i think you will not be overly disappointed with where things land at least i hope you won't be overly disappointed but uh you know as we get into the rest of the games we're definitely going to have to have some opportunity to let some stuff fall to the bottom and uh maybe some stuff up to the top too so we'll we'll see what happens Absolutely. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played this week. We do that every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Breath of the Wild chapter 15, which we are dubbing the chapter of tying up loose ends. Part one of the Sacred Realms rundown is usually the plot recap as read by Matt, and he is returning to that duty after uh, two weeks off, and I'm happy to hand the reins back over to him because he uh, he always does such a great job with this. Well, thank you, Lyndon. So without further ado, this is the plot recap as read by Matt. As we prepare to enter Hyrule Castle and bring our journey to its climactic conclusion, we look in our journal and across the land of Hyrule for any loose ends to tie up before heading off to confront the Calamity. At the top of mind is the last of the shrines that are scattered across the land so that we can increase to the peak of our own power and also the trials of the sword to increase the power of the sacred blade that we will wield against Ganon. We set off back to the Sacred Grove and place the Master Sword within its pedestal once more, and there, within the Blade, we are treated to a grueling series of combat trials to purify our own spirit and strengthen our connection to the spirit of the Blade. After three trials of incredible intensity, we emerge from the Blade with a purified Master Sword in our grasp. Trials have purified our connection to the sword, and by doing so, has not only unlocked the full power and cleansing magic of the blade, but allowed us to finally hear the voice within the sword itself, that ties it back to the long line of heroes before us. The blade is now bathed in an otherworldly light, and the very shine of that light drives the darkness away. Taking our now fully awakened Master Sword in hand, we head across the land of Hyrule to find the last of the shrines, to fully awaken our own power. As we travel, we continue to come across our Rito friend Cass at many of the sites where we suspect shrines to be. At each of these places, Cass sings us an ancient song passed down by his teacher, each of which contains a clue to unlocking a shrine in the area. After following each of these clues, we do indeed find the shrines and claim the spirit orbs within. With 119 shrines down, Cass tells us that he is finally able to return home to Rito Village now that his quest has been completed. He asks us to meet him there so he can tell us one last story passed down by his mentor. So we head back to the shadow of Va Meadow and find the bard singing with his clutch of kiddos, each as vocally talented as their father. We remember these hatch- hatchlings from our time at Warbler's Nest and are not very surprised by the fact that these young ones have also helped us in our journey to claim the shrine's treasure. After his children head off to bed, we talk to the bard one more time and as he tells us the story of his dearly departed mentor and his mentor's love of the Princess Zelda, and jealousy of her love for the appointed knight in her service. At the height of the Calamity, Cass's mentor saw our fall to the Guardian Army, and swore on that day to find out as much about the shrines as he could, so that when we reawakened from the Shrine of Resurrection, we could help Princess Zelda in her struggle against the Calamity. And so, Cass has carried on that mission for our benefit for the majority of his life. And in helping us find the shrines, has completed his master's greatest wish. Cass wishes us well, and a swift victory over the calamity that has ravaged the land for the last century. While we only have one shrine left to find, we do have another loose end to tie up. The burgeoning settlement of Terrytown still needs some bundles of wood to finish out construction of the first settlement in Akala for over a hundred years. We head off to Akala to drop off the wood, and we are pleasantly surprised to hear that Hudson and Ronson have agreed to be married. Hudson asks us to head around Hyrule to gather the guests and a priest so that they can properly be joined in matrimony. With the now fully expected caveat that anyone directly involved with the ceremony must have a name ending in son. We find a retired Zora priest who is more than willing to perform the ceremony and of course gather the other Bolson construction folks to attend. The ceremony is beautiful and moving, and the completion of Terrytown is marked by the joyful occasion of nuptials, which are only slightly spoiled by the requirement that any children born of this union adhere to the Bolson Construction Naming bylaws. With the settlement well on its way to a happy life in Akala, we head back to Kakariko Village for the last shrine in all of Hyrule. We have seen the ancient heirloom in Impa's Hall every time we have been to visit the old woman, and now have finally come to claim it, and by doing so, claim access to the shrine that it keeps locked away. Before she will surrender it, we have to complete a variety of tasks for the citizens of Kakariko, much like we did in Gerudo Town, to take possession of the Thunderhelm. As we wrap up the favors for our friends, we see a commotion in Impa's Hall and head there post-haste. It appears that someone has broken in and stolen the orb from the hall. Thankfully, Impa and Paya are unharmed, but Paya is nearly inconsolable. After spending the day with Paya, she confesses that Dorian and Kato say that they didn't see anyone on the night the orb was stolen, which is odd as there is no other way into the hall other than the main staircase which they are supposed to be guarding. Sensing something afoot, we head to talk to the guards. And Kato says that Dorian was on duty that night, and while Dorian swears he saw nothing, we decide to keep a close eye on him all the same. As night falls again, Dorian unexpectedly takes leave of his post and heads off towards the Great Fairy Fountain, muttering to himself. With our detective senses on full alert, we follow him from a distance, past the Fairy Fountain, over the bridge, and to the pedestal that conceals the shrine once there dorian begins calling out to an unseen person claiming that he knows they're there and he knows what they did in front of our eyes a yiga clan enforcer appears out of thin air and throws off dorian's accusations saying that dorian knew what he was doing when he left the clan and then again when he decided to help them it appears that we have a traitor on our hands but the yiga enforcer chooses to do battle with us before silencing dorian for good we make short work of the Yiga assassin and turn to Dorian for an explanation. Dorian tells us that he did indeed used to be part of the Yiga clan, but left them when he fell in love with his wife, who was from the Shika tribe. But the Yiga clan did not let that rest, and in retaliation they took his wife's life and threatened the lives of his two children if Dorian did not turn spy for them. Under this incredible duress, Dorian did indeed turn spy, and by abandoning his post that night, allowed the Yiga to steal the orb. He apologized profusely and tells us that he came here to kill the Yiga clan member that he knew was there, and that he has again sworn off the Yiga, even though it may mean his own death. He will die to protect his children, but will not betray his people and the hero of Hyrule any longer. Taking this broken man's words for what they are, we vow to keep his secret, and we use the orb that the Yiga clan stole to open the final shrine. Within this shrine, the last monk tells us that there is a gift waiting for us at the Forgotten Temple for our accomplishment of finding and conquering all 120 shrines in the land. Heading to the temple, we find a set of garb specifically made for the Hero of the Wild – The clothes fit us as if handmade for us, and the mossy green is a color that not only brings comfort, but a kind of familiarity that goes beyond nostalgia. It's almost as though we were born to wear these clothes, and that our entire line of ancestors and all the heroes before us have donned garb as historic as this. With our new gear, the fully awakened Master Sword, and our own personal power at its absolute height, we set our sights towards the Cloud of Calamity over Hyrule Castle. This cloud is now pierced by four red laser beams from the maws of the four divine beasts. The spirits of our long-deceased comrades-in-arms not only command their divine beasts, but have also gifted us with incredible power. Our memory is restored, the strength of the land of Hyrule, the sacred power of the Master Sword, and the blessings of the four champions are at our back, and the power of the 120 monks stand behind us. And with our arsenal complete, we head to Hyrule Castle to face down the Calamity and to rescue the princess. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's get into part two, which is our takes where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. I do want to say real quick, Matt, that you, uh, you added a real, um, I don't know, a real narrative through line to that section of game that I think is not. I mean, look, this this was a section of game for us about just kind of finishing up things that we had not yet done, but we knew were important. And uh, you really kind of took that and turned it into the uh, the penultimate chapter. You know, that's kind of what I was going for. I think that with a game like Breath of the Wild, that the story is kind of. Disconnected isn't exactly the right word, but it's not a it's not a straight line uh, that's you know, you're forced onto. Uh, you kind of have to make your own narrative for it. And that's something that I have. Not historically loved, but have really grown to enjoy through our podcast and through uh, you know writing these plot recaps and trying to tell a cohesive and coherent week to week story. I think it's actually been a real upside of uh, doing it this way and in this format. So thank you for uh, for noticing and appreciating. Well, you know, Matt, uh, a very famous person uh, once said, <laughs> "Revenge is never a straight line." It is a forest, and like a forest, it's easy to lose your way to get lost, to forget where you came in. Who said that? Hattori Hanzo. Oh, really? Yeah. Kill Bill. Quentin Tarantino. Ah, yes. I've only seen that movie like twice, so I, uh, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, I did not recognize that one, but I think it's a good quote, uh, I don't know if that necessarily relates to a uh, a plot a plot line that we've that we've uh, woven throughout this game but uh, sure we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah, why not? I know Kill is one of your favorite movies so yeah, I, I I see how you just tried to put 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 it in there. So, it's uh, an incredible movie. Um yeah, no, I is uh, I and I really do appreciate that because I think that uh, there is a certain interesting feeling that comes with closing out side quests in this game. Right. Yeah. And uh, there's a there's a very interesting moment that you get to where you decide at least the way that I play this game. I'm sure a lot of people beat it and then go back and polish up more side quests and whatnot. But like I I like to complete things, you know, Mm -hmm. and and to call an experience completed. And so when I am about to go off to Hyrule Castle and do the whole thing, you know, storm the castle, um, defeat the monsters, defeat Calamity Ganon, finish the game. I usually like to have everything else tied up before that and to have a sense of like closure with the main game before going in and doing that right yeah no i'm i'm exactly the same way when when i when i beat ganon i consider the game kind of closed right and i'm not one of the people that can beat ganon and then go back and like tie things up like that that doesn't feel it doesn't feel right to me. And like I understand some people can play the game that way where um, like some of these side quests are more just like checklist items. Um, but when I look at the kind of the structure of the game, the the final boss being the, the bookend chapter, right? I wouldn't want I don't personally want to enter that with major loose ends. Yeah, and I think especially, in, uh, you know, at least two of the three main things that you were talking about in your plot recap, those for me fall into a camp that is not dissimilar from a lot of the side events that take place in Majora's Mask, right? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. So, um, you know, you've got the Lock no R- Rookie Shrine Quest, which is um, – Probably the most involved ongoing shrine quest in the game, right? And then you've also got the Cass quest, which also, you know, Cass is a character that we come to know throughout the whole playthrough of the game. And also we come to learn that he has a lot of, like, pathos, and there's a lot of character motivation happening with him. So um, those two quests specifically... Um, you know, they, I, I think it's fair to say they have a bit more narrative weight than most stuff that we've done in this game that's not directly related to the Divine Beasts and the Champion's Ballad and all that. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. To me, this, this rings in the same vein as like the Kaifi and Anju quest in Majora's Mask or, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of another similar side quest through, through another one of the other games. Um, Rescuing the kids in Twilight Princess is kind of part of the main quest, so it doesn't exactly ring in that vein, but that's as close as I can get in Twilight Princess. Um... I feel like we had a fair amount of this stuff in Skyloft. In Sword, yeah, there was a lot know? of stuff I mean, in Skyloft that carried over from one act to the next, um, which is, is one of the things I appreciate a lot about Skyward Sword in general. Um, you know, seeing the the townspeople kind of grow and change and and the circumstances surrounding it kind of move, specifically like Groose Bruce and Groose's cronies kind of growing as characters throughout right. their side quests and stuff. So yeah, I think... That's one of the great things that I think Zelda does very well in a not in your face fashion. Like, uh, there, there are other RPGs where the side quests are really the main games, Speaking specifically like Skyrim, you know, when you have all of the Thieves Guild and the companion quests and like those are really You know, those are almost main quest lines in themselves. Zelda isn't quite so in your face about those types of quests, but their emotional payoff is, uh, in my opinion, almost equal, if not if not equal. I don't know about Um, that. I would say that uh, I would say that Majora's (laughs) Mask specifically. I mean, that's basically side quests the game. Right. I think I think that's our outlier there. The the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. I would say that there's really not another Zelda game that I have personally played that is quite as reliant on uh, what we'll call side characters or ensemble cast mm, to yeah. really be the highlight of the uh, path the pathos of the story right god i can't um, wait to play majora's mask uh yeah man i know and i think for everybody's benefit we're probably going to be ending up playing that kind of further into the show but man i'm so excited to get back in and play that game it's so good um But it's good for the same reason that this section of game is good, right? And I think that's kind of what we're getting at, is you get these emotional payouts from things that you have been doing throughout the course of the game. And where Breath of the Wild I think has a leg up on some of those other games is that you're not limited to doing it within a certain act. Like in Skyward Sword, if you miss doing part of that side quest and you complete the next next main section, you can't go backwards and do it. Breath of the Wild doesn't limit you in that way. And I think that that is a strength of, of Breath of the Wild and the way that it tells stories and its side characters. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about how we felt about this section of the game generally. Um, we'll probably do some homework first. I think this is going to be a very abbreviated homework section for both of us. Um, and then after we get done with that, talk more generally about all of the stuff we played and how we feel about it. I do want to save most of our in-depth thoughts on Trial of the Sword for uh, dungeon map slash uh, for sure. shrine diving. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, So anyway, Matt, if you would like to fire up some homework, read off your worksheet, let us know what you got there. Yeah, so my, my starting point was the Shrine of Resurrection at the end of uh, our last section of game. Uh, I know Linden ended in his house in Hateno Village. I did not. So I started at the Shrine of Re- Resurrection, uh, went over to Hateno, did that, and then kind of jumped all around. Uh, but ended my, my playthrough here right at the gates of Hyrule Castle, um, looking at the Ominous Dark Cloud uh, and the Flying Guardians. Uh, my route taken, I, I didn't really have a route to be hundred percent honest. I had, 11 shrines to conquer or 10 shrines to conquer. Uh, so it was really just a lot of, uh, looking at polygons, wonderful, uh, polygon.com. They have a wonderful shrine map that highlights, uh, all of the shrines and also very handily differentiates the ones from champion's ballot as they can get, uh, kind of mixed in there. Uh, I, I see, A lot of shrine maps on Google, but most of them don't have the Champion's Ballad shrines differentiated, so it's easy to get confused. Anyway, used Polygon's wonderful shrine map to find my last uh, wayward shrines. Uh, Always save uh, Lachna Roki for last. As do I. um, Because I think it, as I said my plot recap, it kind of just fits well right there. Um, And I don't know. Maybe that's a weird thing, but uh, i did that so i just kind of went all over um obviously we did trials of the swords so spent a lot of time in the sacred grove um yeah it was it was a good time just hang, hanging around of course my shrine count at the end of this is 120 shrines not including champions ballad shrines um no towers activated of course we've done that uh, i don't know four weeks ago now Yep. So, uh, starting point for me was, as you said, my home in Hateno Village. Uh, ending point was actually so you ended at the gates of Hyrule Castle. I always have a, a thing that I do. And anybody who's listened to this show now for this entire five seasons um, will probably see a recurring theme for me in the way that I kind of tackled the end game of, of all these Zelda games is that I have like little rituals. That I have kind of assigned for myself, and I always do those things in yep. the way that I beat Zelda games. And um, you know, I know that I, you, you know, we we've talked about that in like Link's Awakening and uh, Ocarina of Time, but um, I and we'll talk about it very much again when we get to Majora's Mask because I've got the mother of all, you know, end game rituals for that game. Yeah, I so. bet you do. I'm excited <laughs> to hear about it because I actually don't know it. Oh, it's gonna be fun. Uh, but for this one, I always um. You know, before I run off to Hyrule Castle to go and beat the game, I always fly back to the Temple of Time and uh, I always save the game looking out the front door of the Temple of Time, which is perfectly aligned with Hyrule Castle. And I save the game right there. And that kind of is a tone setter for me of like, okay, the game started here. I can see where it ends when I pick the save file back up, we're going to rush out this door and we're going to go straight there, you know, and, and that's just always been a lot of fun for me because the Temple of Time is a location of a lot of emotional significance. Yeah. In this game and in any Zelda game, really. But. um Well, especially this one, because it's it's exactly the Temple of Time from Ocarina of Time. Like. Right. Yeah, sure. it's, it's exactly well, the and, same. Yeah. Twilight so. Princess. Right. Yeah. Well, is it the same in Twilight Princess? It, it doesn't look the same in it, Twilight Princess. Well, because it's not in pieces. But right. Like, I mean, can, canonically, it's the same one. But like. The layout. The layout of the interior looks. The, when you go into the past in Twilight Princess and you see the Temple of Time interior, it's 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 what it would have yeah, looked like in if it was, Ocarina if of if Time. if it was actually like life-size, like real-size, Yes, <laughs> and if it, if it, if it instead was, of Nintendo 64-size. Yeah, if it was on the Wii and not the N64, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it, the music, the music. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, okay. I, re- I remember that part about yeah. it. Okay, I'm not, I don't, It's I don't <laughs> disremember Twilight Princess anyway, that much. Anyway, I, I love the Temple of Time. I mean, Ocarina of Time was my first major Zelda game. Link's Awakening was my first Zelda game, but Ocarina of Time was the one that really solidified the fandom for me, so... So like um, the Ocarina or the Temple of Time is a very special place for me in any Zelda game that it appears. So um, I kind of use it as like an anchor in Breath of the Wild um, between chapters. Like I like to just go there and like end my in my play session there sometimes. Um, it's an odd thing, but, you know, it's uh It's fun for me to do. It's emotional resonance. Yeah, exactly. So that was my starting and ending points. Um, My route taken was really just all over the place. Um, The front half of this entire playthrough was just devoted to – Hanging out in Korok Forest and doing the Trial of the Sword, and then everything after that was just kind of <coughs> going going wherever Hudson sent me to go, um, because I had two thirds of the um, Terrytown quest finished up until this point. I had not gotten um, I had not gotten Ronson to Terrytown yet, and so everything. Oh no! After so you that, had like a, you had like a third of it done because Ronson's the second person you get outside of the Goron brothers. Then so you had to get Ronson. You had to get the Rito. Okay, so then the Reto. Oh, okay, because yeah. I, uh, you're right. I already had Ronson, so I had to go get the Reto. Uh, I had to go get the Zora, and then I had to go invite um, Carson and Bolson. Yeah, yeah and so and and, you know collect however many freaking trees Uh, I think you end up total like a hundred bundles of wood Uh, it's such a pain Uh, however that being said uh, keep track of when your blood moons are happening because anytime after a blood moon you can just warp back to the Rito stable there's so I was gonna say there's so many bundles of wood there and also just already fallen trees that you can hit with an axe one time and you get like it's like 10 bundles of wood yeah exactly it's awesome it's awesome (laughs) it's really great (laughs) so yeah warped all over the place for the that um shrines already had those done so yeah nothing really to nothing really to say there overachiever i know i know i know only only in video games every other also true (laughs) every other area of Uh. my life i'm perfectly mediocre um (laughs) (laughs) i would say you're a more than adequate artist Uh, thank you i appreciate that (laughs) that makes me feel good um I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff that we kind of set up for ourselves to get cleared out this week. Um, obviously, like I said, the conclusion of the cast quest is really great. Cass is an interesting character, and I love seeing the kind of the end of his story, um, especially being reunited with his family, all of whom you've met doing other side quests in this game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um And then also the Loch Roki Shrine quest I thought was really interesting because, you know, you get some more time with major characters like Impa and Paya. um, But also uh, there are some uh, NPCs that hang out around Kakariko Village that you always kind of knew had interesting stories. And now they're all kind of given some context Mm -hmm. um, around the conclusion of this quest. Like, uh, you know, the the kid that hangs out up by the... um, uh, by the combat shrine that overlooks Kakariko village. Uh, you know, he always said, like, his mom went away and it was sad and whatnot, and his dad is sad. And uh, and then through the conclusion of this quest, you find out, well... Well, she's dead. Yeah, that's because she is dead. She was killed by Yiga assassins. And, uh, you know, his this child's father is, is kind of the main character of the lock, shrine quest. So, you know, there's a lot of really fun resonance in a lot of the narrative that's going on there. And then of course the trial of the sword. Again, I said, I wouldn't get too specific about it and I won't in this section. Um, I enjoy the trial of the sword a lot. It's a very unique challenge and I'm very interested to talk about the differences that I had playing it in master mode versus what you did in, in uh, regular mode. But, uh, yeah, all in all, uh, just kind of a very entertaining mishmash of loose ends here. for sure. Um, I I totally agree that there's just a lot of good stuff here. I completed Terrytown a lot of like at least for at least four weeks ago. Um, so I know, and I know we were holding off to really wrap up Terrytown until this week, or we were gonna originally do it last week, but um, again, just too much to do. So. Um, I'm glad to see the the payout there um from getting a a net new settlement uh, in a region of the map that just it seems like it would be perfect for a settlement. It just doesn't have one. So I think that that was that's a good It feels like a good rebuilding point for Hyrule right like it feels it feels a lot like especially at the beginning of this game that Hyrule is a kingdom that has not only been in decline for a long time but has plateaued at the bottom of the barrel and uh, getting Terrytown up and running and a vibrant community uh, that is alive and safe felt like a very good starting point for a uh, a, a renovation of the entire kingdom. And I felt like it was a good microcosm of what Link is trying to accomplish by defeating the calamity. So I'm glad we tackled that. Uh, like you said, Cass's emotional payout and the pathos of that whole quest is really phenomenal, especially the re the reunification with his whole family and uh, his kids just, you know, being so happy that their dad is back. And um, you know, that's, that's an emotional and moving moment for anybody um, that has, you know, emotional ties with family fully understand that some people don't but you know i know you and i have a great relationship with our dad so just kind of trying to put yourself in that position um is is really emotional and moving um there's also a really cool uh dialogue that you can get with uh some of his kids where they will if you go talk to them after completing all 120 shrines they're like you look different and did you complete all the shrines that's really awesome i'm so happy for you like they're invested in you as in your growth so i think think it also is a showcase of the the characters within the world reacting to you in a different way and being invested in you as a person and as a hero. So uh, there's a lot going on there that is just excellent. Um, and, of course, we'll have more to talk about with Trial of the Sword specifically. But, um, no, it, it, is, it, is a, it is a phenomenal section of the game, and I'm really, really glad we decided to devote an episode to it because uh, I feel like we would have had to skip over a lot of that uh, if we just went straight into Hyrule Castle this week. Yeah, we 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 definitely would have. I think there's a really fun moment that happens when you're kind of talking to Cass, and you know he's done playing the song for you, and of course it's a it's a riff on um it's a riff on his normal song, but then of course during that cutscene it kind of peels off and it's revealed to be the classic Legend of Zelda mm-hmm. theme on the accordion, right? Which was really awesome, right? And it's uh it kind of comes out that. Uh, Cass has known this entire time that we are the appointed knight that was referenced in the song. Yep, Right. And uh, and so for him, it, it's been a big deal for him to be able to impart the song onto us. Um, it's kind of the kind of the fulfillment of a a life's quest. For him, and there's a really touching line that he says to Link at the end of that that whole scene, where he says, "Thank you for spending this time with me." Yep, and I thought that that was like that was very touching because, in one way, that could be read as just like, "Thank you for coming to this, you know, this uh, you know Rito Village platform and listening to this song." But on the other hand, to me, it kind of means, "Thank you for spending this time with me." In the sense of cast being a character that we checked in with throughout the entire course. Of this, of the playthrough of this game, yeah, right, and, and we we went on this journey with him, right? Like he's been a lonely traveling bard for however long. We, what we would have to assume is the majority of his adult life, and he's been separated from his family and from his kids and his wife. And uh, it, it it to me, it read much more as the thank you for taking this journey with me across the, these these quests and for accompanying me and and for you know cutting into that loneliness in a lot of ways. And I think that. That should ring true for us if we put ourselves in Link's shoes, right? Like Link is a man out of time. He has no memories when we start out the game. When he does recover his memories, all of his friends are dead. The love of his life is trapped in a castle fighting a demon. Uh, and Link is just literally traveling around the entire breadth of the of the known land by himself. And so I think that there is a lot of um, companionship that can be had with a character like Cass and Link uh, because there's a lot of similarity there. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. Um, I, uh, I I think that it's uh, it's really nice when you go back to Rito Village anytime after you've completed this quest, and uh, you can see Cass like playing the accordion and harmonizing with his kids like during yeah. the daytime. You know, it's cool because mm-hmm. like that that's kind of like I said earlier the culmination of two separate side quests that each had you know a decent amount of like narrative and emotional resonance behind them. So it's a good feel good moment. It's nice, warm, fuzzy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the Loch Nuh no, Roki quest real quick, because this is the one, like we said, we usually save this for the very end. Yep. Right? And uh, for me, that the the reason for that is twofold. Um, one, it's because it is a little bit more involved, like I said, and you actually have to kind of like set aside some time to just go and, and clear it out, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and for that reason, it kind of makes sense for this to be the climax of your shrine experience i guess um yeah reason number two is that i am just never in the mood to do any of the kakariko village like crap <laughs> that you have to do you in mean, order you to don't want to go find 10 <laughs> random kukos throughout the entire village just right. to put them back in their pen or release a bunch of fireflies in some woman's house <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, basically. yeah. I can't say they're my favorite things to do. The, that part of the quest is definitely busy work. That's how I felt with the Thunderhelm stuff as well. It's why I've until this playthrough, I've never actually gotten the Thunder Helm because I'm just not into busy work. Um, like at, le- at least with that though, you get the Thunderhelm, which is right, great. I mean. I've never used it. I just generally really? no. I, I kind of there. There was quite a. There were um, man. There were three or four times that I can think of in the last two episodes where I was running around High trying to get something finished up, and of course a lightning storm comes out of nowhere because that's what happens in this game. And um, yeah, and I didn't want to like go find shelter and make a campfire and like wait until morning or anything. So I just you know, I just threw on the Thunder Helm and it doesn't even matter. You can run through the rainstorm and you get struck by lightning. Who cares? You're good to go. Yeah, I mean, I generally just uh, take off anything that's metal and still continue to run around, so. Well, I don't (laughs) want to have those restrictions on my freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I just don't. I've never found it all that necessary. Um, Thunder and lightning is pretty easy to avoid as long as you have. And that's, I guess that's why I always keep at least one wooden shield, at least one wooden or guardian shield, one wooden or guardian weapon and one wooden or guardian bow because you throw that on and you're no longer in danger of getting struck by lightning at all. So, um I just have never really found it all that necessary. Same reason I never really used the rubber armor um in the game. It just I, I the only time and actually I did realize this Shortly after I got the Thunderhelm, was it would have been really helpful to have that when you're doing any dragon uh, farming because Farosh's uh, lightning balls are can just wreck your life. Um, more so than more so than the fireballs from Dinral for sure. Uh, the ice and the lightning in general both not only do a lot of damage but incapacitate you and make you fall. So you know, definitely a lot of danger with those. But uh, so I think the Thunderhelm would have been nice to have when doing any sort of <laughs> that's, dragon farming. That's definitely an early game peril with Farosh. If you go like dragon piece farming before you have a lot of stamina, and you're you're kind of like <laughs> you can die immediately. Well, you're like mid air, kind of doing your arrow thing, and you hit Farosh's horn, and the piece flies off, and you're like, great, this is awesome. And then the lightning ball hits you, and you fall into the middle of Lake Hylia, right? Yeah, and then you're just stuck there with no stamina, and you're almost <laughs> dead anyway. You're <laughs> just like, well, <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's definitely an, an issue, or a, that's definitely a time where it might come in handy. Um, what did you think about the narrative conclusion of the Loch no Rookie quest, where we learn— I mean, like, the Yiga, I think, have kind of been a bit of a— caricature of evil they really have up until now yeah but they actually like we get some very sinister shading around like their methods and what they're willing (laughs) to like the lengths that they're willing to go to um, as an evil organization yeah they're not above killing kids so i don't think you can get much more evil than that uh, they killed his wife, not his kid. I know, but they're threatening to kill his kids. Oh, you're right. Yeah, like, that's the, the whole reason he turned spy was because they said they'd kill his kids if he if he didn't obey, and the only reason that he believed them was because they killed his wife. So, like, yeah, I think this was the most evil and most sinister we've ever seen the Yiga Clan be, and um, outside of maybe their assassination attempt on Zelda, but even that is a little more understandable because she's a political figure. You know, political assassinations are not, unfortunately uncommon and their motivations are a little more understandable than just you know like random <laughs> random wanton murder yeah so i think this is really where you see the yiga clan being an actual clan of assassins and an actual like evil organization and man i just like i feel really bad for dorian because like it seems like he was raised in the yiga clan right so he didn't have a choice he was indoctrinated from a young age like we we, you can almost compare this to a cult right like he's raised in it he knows nothing else but he has an opportunity through love very romeo and juliet in some ways uh love of a sheikah woman to leave that behind him and all he wants to do is have a normal life raise some kiddos not murder anybody I don't think that's too much to ask. And uh, the Yiga clan's like, nah, dude, you were uh, you were born into the clan, so you're going to die with the clan, and that's too bad. And he gets put in an impossible situation. Like, I don't think there's anybody in the world that could fault this guy for doing what he did when the lives of his children were at stake. Let's talk about the final fight that you do as part of this quest where you kind of like – you've come to the end of the, of the quest. You follow Dorian all the way up past the fairy fountain to the uh, shrine pedestal and you get confronted by a Yiga Blade Master. And I think uh, this is one of those fights where the Yiga Blade Master can one-hit KO you, right? I don't think that that's true, but I wouldn't know if he didn't hit me. I might need to look that up. Hold on. I don't think that that's true. I, I read a Polygon article to help me figure out which side quests I needed to do in Kakariko Village and they said that he could take like five to six hearts at a time. So I think he does do like significantly more damage than a normal Yiga enforcer but not or blade master but not uh, not a one hit KO I don't think could be wrong Hold please Yeah, I did some quick research and I don't think he can one hit KO you like the blade masters and the uh, Yiga hideout can do but uh yeah, I mean I, but still, I mean a fun fight. I always use the master sword for this one because it feels appropriate. Uh, that does feel appropriate. I don't think that I did, but I probably should have. Sounds like fun. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it, so yeah, it, you know, it, it's a fun kind of end to this quest and it reveals a shrine. Uh, in some ways, I think it's a little disappointing that the final shrine that I always choose to do is one that gives you like a, a blessing. It's a blessing shrine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's okay because as I said before, I went and I did the trial of the freaking sword. And I <laughs> feel like that more than like. Makes yeah. up for the like the effort differential there for sure, uh, but uh, yeah, no, so that's a fun little quest. Um, I want to go ahead and move on to part three, which is the dungeon map where we talk about the trial of the sword. I want to save our conversation about tarry town until part four, which is bloopy trails, because I feel like tarry town is the ultimate bloopy trail. Yeah, this it's, game, a, it's right? a it's a almost game long bloopy trail, so if I, you do it the right way, exactly. So Part three: the dungeon map slash shrine diving. Honestly, the trial of the sword I think could fall into either camp. I'm going to go ahead and call it a combat dungeon, right? I would agree with that. Yes. Okay. Cool. So we have three tiers. We've got the uh, the easy, medium, and hard trials. I forget what they're actually called, but um, the beginning, final, and or the beginning, middle, and final. Right. So uh, I will just so you know to get this out of the way. Matt and I both completed all three. Correct. Yeah, uh, how do you feel about the trial of the sword, Matt? And again, this kind of comes back to a bit of the DLC conversation we were having last week, uh, because this was a piece of paid extra content, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about the trial of the sword. Um, I I really love I love the way Breath of the Wild does combat. I hate item durability which we've talked about a lot. However, you form no emotional attachment to any of the items that you get in The Trial of the Sword. Correct. Absolutely correct. Also, The Trial of the Sword would not work without item durability, so you have to also... And also, just to be clear, we had a comment on Twitter from uh, our good friend Dante who said that Breath of the Wild would not be the game that it is without item durability. Totally accurate. It's a a very accurate statement. Um, Doesn't mean I have to like it, because I don't. But... um, So I have mixed feelings. Um, There are portions of the Trial of the Sword that I really like. And then there are some... There's one or two rooms in Trial of the Sword that I loathe. And I think we're going to talk about them. Yeah. Because I just don't feel like they're necessarily super fair tests of combat ability as much as they are pitting you against enemies way above your... You know, weight above your weight class with gear that has no business being able to beat them, especially when you get into Master Mode. And I remember the time, the one time that I played Breath of the Wild in Master Mode I never even got past the first tier of Trial of the Sword and I just said, this is not worth it. So um, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts having completed Trial of the Sword on Master Mode because there's one specific room in the first trial that I just refuse to do on Master Mode. So uh, would you say, because again, yeah, you played this on regular, I played it in Master Mode, would you say that um, you found it as a whole to be challenging in a fun way, at least? Absolutely, as a a whole. Like uh, when you put all three of the trials together, definitely the most challenging combat in the entire game like bar none uh and i think all three as a whole uh it is fun um it's a lot it's a time investment like i think each tier takes you minimum half an hour i i want to say that the first tier took me 45 minutes the second about an hour and the third like an hour and a half yeah it's. I mean, it's a huge time commitment, and you can't save and quit. You, even when you get to the, um, you know, the rest rooms. There are three in the final trial. I think there's two in the middle, and I think there's two in the beginning. But even when you get to the rest rooms, you can't save and quit. So like, you are committing yourself to that whole chunk of game. Of course, remembering that on the Switch, you can put that console into sleep, sleep mode right, whenever you want. But point being, you can't like save and come back to it later, and. Um, that that's a that's a type of gaming that really hasn't been prevalent in a lot of um, modern games. Most games don't really have restrictions on save uh, save places and and uh, quick start resumes. So um, that was kind of an interesting choice, I thought. Um, yeah, no, I I do think it was fun, and and I think that the way that it stresses combat is really great. I think one of my Kind of middling gripes with it is the lack of armor gear. So you have no durability, right? Like you're taking so much damage. And a lot of, at least in some, a lot of the way that I play in normal mode is um, I'm not. St- perfect at perfect parries, so I I do intentionally buff up my armor, especially when, like, fighting guardians, so, like, I'm not the best at the shield parry when it comes to fighting guardians, so it's nice to have the uh, the guardian armor or the knight's armor, where that is not going to one-hit KO you. Um, that is not an option for you in Trial of the Sword, and I think that's kind of the point, but um, I, I guess that, it, to me, it's always frustrating to get super far And then die to something that you're like, dang, I really, I don't normally mess that up, and when I do, I have this little bit of grace cushion, and now I don't have that grace cushion, and now I have to start all the way back over. Right, yeah. So, uh, you and I had a small conversation about this before we started recording, and I'm going to ask you a question that's going to lead into a conversation about our least favorite chamber— (laughs) in <laughs> by go, far because we share we share the same least favorite which of the three trials did you find to be the most difficult the the first trial by far was the hardest yeah me as well and so the reason for that is that um there's there's kind of a few things kind of happening here one thing that you notice as you go into the trials of the sword is that in the middle and especially the third one even though that third one you're fighting stronger enemies and you have a lot more rooms to deal with Um, there's a lot better gear that you can find to pick up in the final trials. Like, by the time I get to the final chamber of the trial, of the, the final trials, you know, the hardest one, I have got, like, six Royal guard swords and like great flame blades and ancient arrows. And I've got like, I've found enough recipes or like I found enough recipe ingredients to make like full recovery plus two hearts with like hearty truffles and stuff like that. And so uh, you get a lot of really good stuff, (laughs) especially in that final one. And even though you're fighting some very hard dudes, it's a little bit easier to offset that because you just have a lot of really great gear. Um, And that's true a little bit in the middle one, too. In the first one, you're really just stuck with, like, Boko stuff. Yeah, like, everything you have is wood. I think you get maybe a soldier's blade in the first trial, like, maybe. Um, Other than that, you're stuck with just Boko spears, uh, Bokoblin arms, uh, you know. I mean, it's garbage. And, um, And you're fighting, like... Not hard, not the hardest tier of enemies. Like, there's no white and en- there's no silver enemies or gold enemies. But there's no lineals. There's no lineals. There's definitely some you know black or red, uh, Lizalfos in there. There's definitely some brown uh, moblins. There's definitely some brown Bokoblins, which are not not tanky, especially right, right, against right. a six power. <laughs> Spiked Boko Club, sure. And uh, I mean, yeah. And in addition to that, I mean, arrows are stingy. Once you get into the final phases of the the beginning trials, you start getting like better bows, and you can find like, uh, you know, Lizol forked boomerangs and stuff like that. Like you can get some better stuff, but not a ton, and it all kind of culminates in what I think is the hardest chamber of any of the three Trial of the Sword challenges. And that is, um, I forget which floor it is, but it's in the, it's like the second... It's it's like 15 or 18. It's the second or third to last chamber in the entire thing. And you load into this room that's full of water. And as soon as you load in, there's a Lizalfos archer, who, if you don't take him out in two seconds, then he blows the horn, and then there's two other lasalfos that are higher leveled in there, and they will come and swarm you immediately. Um, so you said that there are no silver or white dudes in Trial of the Sword. Not for uh, not for normal. Though. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing about uh, Trial of the Sword on Master mode is that the same rule applies to Master mo- or to Trial of the Sword as to the rest of the game, which is that every enemy that you fight is one difficulty level up from what they are in the regular mode. So, in this room, it is one blue Lizalfos Archer, and then two white or silver. It's kind of tough to tell the difference between the two. By the way, this is underground floor 10. Cool. Uh, Two white or silver uh, Lizalfos Swordsmen, and so there's only three enemies in this room, but it's a huge pain in the ass, especially on Master Mode, because... What you have to do is you have to jump off the side of the pier that you spawn on and then go into arrow time, right, and snipe the archer immediately. Yep. And if you get that headshot, then it's a one-hit KO, so you're good there. But then the real challenge begins, because you have to avoid detection by the two silver Lazalthos. There are two platforms on either side that are out in the water, and you can jump off of those, and then just kind of like lay into one of them at a time with arrows. You get a lightning rod in the room before this one, and that does help because if the Lazalthos get in the water, then you can dump some lightning in the water, and you shock them. The trouble is, that as you're doing damage to these Lizalfos, basically anything that you have uh, ends up making enemies like fly, right? Like if you hit an enemy four or five times in a row with something, then it sends them like kind of flying, you know? And in Master Mode when health regen starts, if you're not doing damage for a certain amount of time, then you send these Lazalfos flying and the amount of land, like the amount of, of dock that that you're fighting on is so small they just go in the water and you can't hit them in a sword when they're in the water you can't hit them with a sword when they're in the water so they start health regen immediately and then also once they're in the water they start spitting at you and And that spit does a good amount of damage when you have no clothes on yeah that spit attack like really really takes your hearts down quite a lot and so um, honestly like it was to the point where I tried doing the beginning trials four or five times over you know the, le- the the weeks leading up to this episode. And I thought that I was not going to be able to complete it this time. And I'd done it before on Master Mode. It was so frustrating because I was like, I've beaten all three of these on Master Mode before, and I think it's actually going to defeat me this time. I don't know if I'm going to beat all this before I get done with, um, with the playthrough of the game for the podcast. And uh, it was just because of this one room. I could not get past it. And in the end, I finally managed to do it. So the trick is that you can't let so, – so the two white Lizalfos that are left after you kill the archer, you cannot let the one that you're not fighting become aware that you're fighting the other one. Like if you end up having to fight both at the same time, then you're done. You can't do it. Um If you can, like, take them down one at a time, then it's a little bit more doable. You've got to be really, 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 really great with your timing on, like, a combination of lightning rod, stasis, arrow time, um, you know, spear attacks, whatever— It just takes forever, and it's really tough because you kind of come out of this room, even if you do manage to beat it, you come out of this room with almost none of your weapons left. Yeah, no weapons, no arrows, like, everything's broken or close to broken, and then you have to go through, like, four more rooms? Actually, only two. Two more rooms, but still, two more rooms with a lot of enemies. So, yeah. no, it yeah, it's just it, it is incredibly hard. I, I don't think it's a terribly well-designed chamber just because of of the way that the water kind of works here. Um, you know how uh, you know how you're always kind of knocking these enemies into the water and they start health regen. It's just a humongous pain. The only way that I was able to finally finish this is that I I took the first Lazalthos down just by um paragliding and i i had to have like i took out my strongest bow and i launched 30 arrows right into this guy's dome and that that just sounds awful and that got him down to half health and then i just had to kind of keep doing this combo of lightning rod stasis weapon attack lightning rod stasis weapon attack and that took care like that finished all of my good stuff Right. And so then for the second one, I had to do like a sneak attack to start it off with and then just try to chip away at him with like all the crappy weapons that I had left. And I would not have been able to do it. I was about to run out of all my stuff and not be able to finish it. But I got into this like weird nook on the on the dock where I figured out that if I like if I attack this Lazalthos towards Um, a piece of the structure Mm -hmm. then he just kind of like flies into that instead of off and into the water and I can just kind of like keep him locked into that kind of thing and that's the only way that I was able to finish it and you know it's the kind of thing where I could play that chamber five or six times in a row and one out of every four times I think I'd be able to do that for sure Um, yeah I think that chamber alone is the most annoying and really what I would classify as the only unfair chamber in my opinion especially on master mode but even on normal it's just it's rough because like unless you do the arrow time kill the sniper you end up getting attacked by both black Lazalphos. they're black Lizalfos in normal mode And they both have spears, which means they attack very quickly. When you don't have armor, they take lots of health. And it's very hard to dodge because the timing of a spear dodge is a lot different than the timing of a sword dodge. So it's just very difficult. And um, like I ended up having to fight both Lizalfos when I did beat it. And the only way I was able to complete it was i bombed them both off the side got them into the water and they swam around to there's a ramp where they have to come up into the main part of the structure and i just kept them there with the uh the lightning rod i just i was hitting the lightning i was hitting the water with the lightning rod shocking them and then i would arrow or bomb and lightning rod arrow or bomb lightning rod arrow but like the whole time and i almost broke the lightning rod even on normal mode just killing both of these lazalfos it was it was rough Yeah, so um, obviously that's our least favorite chamber for Trial of the Sword. I'm trying to—so let's go ahead and talk about some parts of this whole experience that we really liked. Of course, as you get into the middle and final trials, you get into some really interesting challenges where, like, in the middle trials, um, you go through uh, a string of, like, five chambers that have no light, and you've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to beat a bunch of enemies in the complete darkness. Um, you fight a lot of— yep, That's guardians. in the middle trials. Yep. Yeah. You fight a lot of, like, ancient enemies in the middle trials. Um, you don't fight any ancient enemies in the middle trials. Yeah, you it's do. all in the it's all in the final trials. No, the middle trials you fight a lot of the small guardian dudes that you Oh, 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 yeah, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. the 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 guardian, what are they called? Not stalkers. Uh uh, just the Shrine Guardians, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, have a, they have a name. I'm looking it up. I'm on the IGN article. Yeah. So uh, anyway, those are those are difficult in their own way because they have a lot of durability and you can kind of like burn a lot of weapons and stuff trying to, to beat them. The thing about Trial of the Sword is that you do best if you are maximizing your opportunities to get one-hit KOs when, whenever yeah. they exist. And um, so in that specific circumstance, those Guardians in the Middle Trials. Um, guardian Scouts. Guardian Scouts, yeah. There are a lot of uh, instances where you can, like, stasis them and hit them a few times and then they, like, fly into the water and die, you know? Mm -hmm. Even in the beginning trials, like, that first room of the Trial of the Sword, uh, you spawn in with no weapons. And I always find that instead of trying to, like, you know, bomb all those bokoblins and take their weapons and whatnot and then fight them each individually, what's easiest to do is to grab a Boko spear and light it on fire— and then just, like, run around, and as they're following you... Just light stuff on fire, yeah, and they light, die in the fire. Yeah, light grass on fire, and they die in that, like, immediately. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, uh, the primary strategy in, like, master mode. In normal mode, uh, you know, one or two bombs would generally take care of a group of red goblins, especially if you walk in with a... And this is key. We actually didn't talk about this. The key, really, to beating Trial of the Sword is to go into the trial with a 30-minute uh buff to attack and full hearts and an extra stamina wheel so you eat a meal that gives you all the hearts you can get you have a 30 minute uh plus attack triple plus attack meal uh that's generally you know one dragon horn plus four mighty bananas and you have 30 minutes of plus attack um and then that makes that a lot easier um, so, but you know, it's still hard. Oh, for sure. Look, nothing about Trial of the Sword is easy, I would say. The only one, and actually, the only trial that I was able to beat in one go was the middle trial. Um, Me as well. The, the final trial, I died to a lightning strike because... Uh, I I was trying to get rid of some of my garbage weapons on the fight with the Stalnox, and I just happened to pull out my rusty Claymore just to throw it at the dude. Like, I wasn't trying to use it for anything fancy, but as soon as I equipped it, I got struck by lightning. So it was just kind of unfortunate timing, um, and it killed me, and I didn't have a fairy at that point, so I was, I was done skis. but But, um, yeah, I think there's nothing easy about Trial of the Sword, but Outside of that one room, I would say that it is an enjoyable challenge. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, in the final trials, you have a lot of rooms where you're impacted by weather. You know, you've got a string of rooms where you're in extreme cold, a string of rooms where you're in extreme heat. Um, Definitely kind of pay attention to the stuff that you're given in the, uh, you know, in the rest areas. Right. Because especially the cold area, you don't get any armor that protects you against the cold. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is like the heat area wasn't a big deal because you got the fireproof pants, but the cold uh, area, you have to be mindful of making sure you're equipping either the meteor rod or the flame spear that you get in the previous rooms uh, at least every once in a while so you don't start losing hearts to the cold. And I thought that was a really fun kind of challenge to hot swap weapons more or less to offset the uh, environmental factor. Um, I really, really liked that about the final trial was um, having to take into account those things. And like, while you can cook yourself a spicy meal, because in the restroom before you get to the cold, you can get um spicy peppers and sizzlefin trouts. But um when at least when I did it, I still had ten minutes left on my uh plus plus attack. And so or triple plus attack. And, and you're so, not you're not about to like Yeah, I wasn't you know. gonna waste that on uh, on um, cold resist exactly so I I gave my I just hot swapped weapons which I thought was really fun and you know you and I were texting while we were doing it and you know trying to you know make sure we were doing it the most efficient way possible and the the really cool thing about another really cool thing there are lots of cool things but another really cool thing about the way Breath of the Wild does enemies is that you have those elemental type enemies like the Wizrobes and even uh, certain Lizalfos that are um elemental Enemies, right? And if you use their opposite element, they die in one hit, no matter what it is. So that was really cool to go into the the fire rooms with a great ice blade that you get off the Stalnox, or going into the cold rooms with the flame spear and the meteor rod that you get from the previous rooms. Uh, really was a, a huge advantage. And if you know how to use those weapons, which by this point, at least you know when we're doing it, the last thing before we go into Hyrule Castle, you should by that time know that those things have that effect uh, it makes those rooms uh, a little bit easier and a little bit easier to manage so uh, I thought that was uh, good game design yeah definitely but that kind of goes back to what I was talking about where I think that paradoxically the final trials are actually the easiest ones mm-hmm. because even though they're very long and all the enemies are very strong, you have a lot of ways that you can sneakily one-hit KO enemies in the final trials. Yeah, your, your yes. toolbox is appropriate to the challenge yeah. where it doesn't feel that way in the beginning all, all, all the way to the final room, which should be the hardest. Like, you've got a silver Lynel, at least on Master Mode. you have a silver Lynel. It's also silver in normal okay. mode. You have a silver Lionel you have got a Flying Guardian, no, uh, no, no, okay. Yeah, there's a Silver Lionel, there's a Guardian Tower. Yeah, it's a then, stationary Guardian. And then yeah. there's, like, a roving horse band of, of horseback Bacoblins. trash They're trash mob Bokoblins, generally. Have, but they have, like, really strong Powerful weapons. Powerful weapons. Yeah. So the thing is, you know, the way that you think you need to beat this is by, like, I don't know, fighting the Lionel and then also dodging the Bokoblins while you're fighting the Lionel and then... Yeah <laughs> like I don't know but uh you know it's easy because uh, you get there, and if you've been paying attention and scavenging correctly, you have, like, I had three ancient arrows left by the time I got to this challenge. I only had two because, unfortunately, I missed one on a flying guardian, but, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, you know, I only had two as well because I—what did I do? Oh, uh, I had I had killed a guardian stalker with one, mm-hmm. and then there was another guardian stalker that I just chose. I was like, you know what? I, I'm good at this game. I'm just going to do it with shield parries yep. and finish that. Um, but then, so, yeah, I had two when I got to this chamber— uh, one of those ancient arrows goes immediately into the dome of the silver Lynel. Yep. And he's gone. Every uh, every time I see a Lionel in the final trials, because you see three. Two. Two. You see two. Uh, you always have an ancient arrow at the ready. The only bad thing about using an ancient arrow on Lynels is you don't get any of their loot, which kind of sucks, but, you know. But the silly thing about that is the first you one you it. fight... don't need The first one that you fight is in the snow area, at the end yeah. of the snow area. Yeah. And that Lynel... Has got mid-tier Lionel gear when you kill him. But... There is a Savage Lynel Crusher and a Savage Lynel Spear that are just chilling out in the snow in the scenery. Yep, they're in uh, and up. I think if you can, I think you melt one of the glaciers to get yeah. some of it. And, yeah. and they're just like they're better than anything that you could get if you had killed that Lionel appropriately. And you're not even missing the gear that you would have gotten from him because, because like you're, said, you're stacked with loot. Yeah, he's <laughs> got yeah, like royal guard, stacked. like great royal guard swords I, and like I all ended kinds up, of stuff. I ended up with, I think, four royal guard shields, a knight's shield, shield uh and then literally a host of weapons most of which were at minimum 24 attack power like it it was i was not hurting for weapons at all and uh, like you i whenever it was a single guardian i would generally do it with shield parries or i would like get one or two shield parries down and then i was like i don't really want to risk dying so i'm just gonna like beat it to death with my horde of weapons that i have right sure so um That's how I did that, especially with the Guardian turrets. Both of the Guardian turrets... Actually, no, the second guard, the last guardian turret in the last room, I had one ancient arrow left and I was like, ah, screw it. I'm not going to mess with it. Um, but the guardian turret in the room before that, I climbed up the, the pillar and just sat there and spun, spin to win. Yeah. You, you can s- stun- spin it to win it. that thing. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> easy. It's, it's actually so funny that last room. So my strategy is, yeah, Lionel goes down with an ancient arrow and then I sneak over and climb up to the guardian turret and then I just stun lock it, you know, arrow to the eye and then hit with a sword yep. and repeat. Right. so... Yep. and so the only people left are the horseback Bacoblins and what I do from there is I paraglide down from that tower and just arrow time it well yeah I arrow time it with bomb arrows because <laughs> you can get some yeah. yeah you can get like 10 bomb arrows before you get here and so I basically become an AC 130 to this entire like this entire roving band of bacoblins. <laughs> and there was th- and so I killed them all landed on the ground the trial wasn't over I was like who did I miss and then there's just just one this one last blue bacoblin who wheels around on a horse and, and he's, he's trying to go for that hero he's moment coming towards me he's <laughs> This is going for the hero moment, yeah, man. Right, exactly. His last samurai yeah, you. He's, he's got his, like, royal guard spear, and he's like, I'm going to get you, and my last ancient arrow went right into that blue bokoblin. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, overkill, so but it was I, fun. I had a real fun time with the horde of bokoblins, because I still had, I still had the meteor rod, and meteor, it's not media, meteor rod, and uh, it was, like, almost broken, but- like they were just coming at me in a huge horde and I was like, ah, screw it. So I just tossed it like four or five times in a row and wiped almost the whole group out with just these random throws of the meteor rod and they were nice. all just getting blasted off their horses nice. and burning to death and I was like, ah, this was a lot of fun. So I, yeah, I, I loved, I loved the, the final trial, I think, I would do that a lot over and over again. Yeah, sure. That's definitely the best one. There is definitely, look, there's a version of this podcast where we we get to a point where we've run out of content, and then we're saying, like, what are we going to do an episode about? And then I'm like, oh, I don't know. We should probably do, like, the final trials on master mode with no attack bonuses and no ancient arrows or something. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> miss me with that. But uh, no, I, I, I do. The more we talk about it, the more I am fond of it, uh, and the more I genuinely think that this was a very good addition to the game because it gives you such a good yep. focus on. Combat. Yes, it's a it's an excellent showcase of Breath of the Wild's combat systems and how versatile they are. I think it's great for that. So, of course, we get to the end. One thing that I think is really cool that I want to mention before we move on is that the six monks. Yeah, I was about to say there are a lot of monks in that room. Yeah, yeah. The, the six monks that you come to that get that grant you your final master sword rank up. Here's a little interesting bit of trivia. You notice how each of those monks is doing something specific with their arms, like one. And it's the same. It's the same. Motions that the sages did when they were summoning the Rainbow Bridge to uh, go to Ganon's castle yes. in Ocarina of Time. Yes, I noticed. Yes, I don't know what to make of that. I think it's cool, but it's there's. I mean, there's no way that's not intentional, right? It's definitely so, intentional. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was neat. So, also think it's neat. There you go. Trial of the Sword. It's a great time. I think. Um, definitely definitely worth the effort if for no other reason than because we're going to go into hyrule castle with a permanent 60 attack power lightsaber master sword the lightsaber master sword is definitely uh, <laughs> the prime master sword and of course we we uh, uh the narrative payoff here is that we link the hero uh hear the voice in the sword at the end of this, we hear we Fi. get to reconnect with Fee. Yep, which is really great. You get her whole chime thing that happens. Um, you mentioned this to me, which I peripherally noticed but didn't make the connection. The final scene uh, when Link lifts the Master Sword in that chamber with the six monks is exactly the same angle and stance that Link takes in Skyward Sword when summoning uh, any incarnation of the Goddess Sword. Improved Goddess Sword or any version of the Master yeah, Sword. Yeah, when the when in any of those cutscenes in Skyward Sword, when you're purifying the blade with one of the flames like you're holding it above your head that that same camera angle is kind of what you see here so yeah you know that's a neat little extra bit of skyward sword continuity um, which i enjoyed let's go ahead and get into part four which is bloopy trails where we talk about something interesting that diverted our attention that of course brings us to Terrytown, which is the ultimate side quest i think it's the side quest for breath of the wild for sure and i i just want to get a few quick thoughts i mean I, I think the main benefit that we get having done all of this is that we get introduced to a lot of really fun characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of the different – I mean, I, I thought it was really funny. By the time we get to the wedding at the end of this, uh, Link is the only person in this town witnessing this wedding whose name does not end in sun, so – you know that's fun. Yeah, we didn't follow the Bolson construction naming uh, bylaws. No, we did. We did not. I thought that was so funny when Hudson and Ronson are getting married, and um, they have it written into their vows, and all the onlookers are like, "It's a vow of bylaws compliance." You know? <laughs> yeah, it it's was. Like, uh, uh, really got me. It was. Funny. Yeah, it was. It was definitely something. Uh, I thought my life was consumed by work, but definitely nothing compared to that. So, I'm glad that that's not going to be in my wedding vow. I love how Ronson is like, well, this is a crazy rule, but I guess it is tradition. (laughs) (laughs) The things we do for tradition. So, um, I mean- just in general, how do you feel about Terrytown as as the main side quest of this game? Like in terms of like the steps you have to go through, the rewards that you get from completing it, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Uh, I think it's a good introduction, like you said, to a lot of interesting characters. Uh, we've talked about Terrytown a, a bit in previous episodes, so I don't want to rehash things too terribly much there. But um, I I enjoy it. I think that the vendors there are fine – um, They're maybe not as useful as I would like right, For that's, having that's, gone through all this effort Exactly, like I think the payout you get For Terrytown At the end of it all Is not actually that great Because you end up with a uh, a vendor who sells you precious gems that you really don't need any of. If you've played this game as many hours as we have, you end up with a vendor who sells you arrows, which that can be good. Um, but if you're like me, I have over a hundred of every arrow type now, so I don't exactly need it. Uh, Ronson is really the only one that I ever buy anything from because I buy the desert Voe armor from her, but you can also buy the desert Voe armor in Gerudo town. If you do the, uh, speakeasy quest, um, and there's the the only unique vendor to Terrytown is the guy that can sell you a Hylian shield if yours breaks. He also has a couple of kind of unique items like the uh the a the ancient trouser and the ancient shirt that's all threadbare. He has a Nintendo Switch shirt that you can buy. Um generally like novelty items, I say I would say. Um and the the N there. Is also one of the ends that can give you permanent plus bonuses like plus heart plus uh, stamina wheel. So that's kind of nice. Um, but overall, like after I'm done with the Terrytown quest, I don't find myself really going back there all that much, which is kind of disappointing in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'll, I, I really will agree with that. Um I think the main thing has been, like you mentioned just now, um, at times when I've been playing this game and my Hylian Shield has taken a few too many Guardian lasers than it really should have Um, (laughs) and it breaks, I can go get another one from the vendor that's there. And that's that's good. I'm glad that that is a a possibility Uh, that hasn't happened to me in my last like two playthroughs, because (laughs) I mean, you know. It it takes a lot of effort to break that Hylian shield. Yeah, I mean, that thing could take, what, six Guardian lasers? Yeah, you do get three diamonds for free from Hudson after you finish the whole quest. That's true. Which is, you know, I guess diamonds are cool. I guess that's nice. But (laughs) yeah, I have have 12,000 rupees and 20 diamonds. Like, don't really need them. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think basically what we get out of this is the Character moments for sure, right? Yeah, it's, it's it's world building, yeah. The satisfaction of having done it, um, I, I do think from that standpoint, it, it's a fun little drama to follow. I think that the character of Hudson and all the quirky little people who exist in his like sphere, the Bolson Construction Company alone, is, is worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're they're all they're all so quirkily and funnily written, you know. I think there's a lot of funny little jokes, uh, that are that kind of happen here, um, especially around the Bolson Construction, uh, you know, naming bylaws and all that and then uh you know Hudson himself has some really fun uh, dialogue options that are just kind of really awkward to read. You know, like some... He's some, not smooth with the ladies. No. Well, it, apparently that doesn't matter because he ends up getting married to like a, a totally buff Gerudo. Um, but I did think it was funny, his wedding outfit, you know, he's got that like vest that he's not wearing a shirt underneath and he's wearing like, he's wearing a bow tie like a Chippendale. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> thought that was awesome. <laughs> he's very uh, muscular Chris Farley in the SNL skit. I know, right? I'm here for it, but... Also quirky, yeah. So anyway, just you know, mostly, mostly this just boils down to some fun character moments and some fun dialogue choices. I think, uh, Matt, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about in Z targeting before we move on? You or, mean uh, P-trails? P-trails? Yeah, I think it's f- one of the other fun things about the character building is giving some characters that have that seem like they're kind of languishing. Uh, Giving them new purpose right like specifically uh, the Zora priest who is not enjoying his retirement and he misses doing weddings and he misses being a part of a community where he's able to contribute Um, and you kind of give this guy a second lease on life so I think that was kind of a fun character moment yeah but uh, other than that I would just agree with the points that you've made. Excellent. Well, uh, with that being said, let's go uh, let's go ahead and get into part five, which is Z targeting where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, who is your Z targeting pick for this week? Yeah. Uh, so my Z targeting this week is a Barta, the Gerudo guard who you have to rescue twice, uh, and the course for the Thunderhelm. So I, I completed that this week as well. So that was gonna be part of my Bloopy Trails. Anyway, uh Barta the second time you rescue her, you have to go to the Leviathan skeleton where you find the Great Fairy Fountain. And she is there and she is uh, exhausted from the heat. You have to bring her a Hardy Duran fruit and uh, then she heads on back. But uh, the the reason she's my z pick this week is when you bring her the Hardy Duran fruit and you let her eat it, she stands up and she goes, oh, you're the same person that rescued me from the Yiga clan hideout. Oh, you're a vo. I kind of thought there was something suspicious about you. You were a little too muscular for a Vi. Coming from the one of the most muscular groups of people who are unilaterally you know women. These- like, are you kidding me? <laughs> These Gerudo are all jacked, jacked. Out of their minds. And like, and her thought was, you're a little too muscular to be a Vi. That's BS. So, Barta, you get my uh, – what one of our other favorite podcast uh, shows calls my drunk Shimoto for the week of uh, <laughs> y- go home, you're drunk, because everybody around you is jacked as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely a little bit of dissonance there. Um, yeah, I mean, Link is in good shape. Link is in nowhere near as good a shape as – you know Bellaria. Bellaria. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Like, like dude are you kidding me <laughs> yeah i mean link does not have thighs that could crush a watermelon for instance I, hydromelon excuse me uh, yeah <laughs> well, good 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 course correction there but thank yeah, you yeah no it was uh no i like I, I read that line and i was like damn it nintendo really really just uh get it together so my Z targeting pick for this week, this was always going to be kind of a tricky one because we, we we just had a lot of stuff that we kind of got up to. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pick Dorian, the guard from uh, Kakariko Village, who I think really does have a good tragic story with an element of redemption. Um, you know, the game kind of relies on you to kind of fill in a lot of the narrative gaps, especially around what I was talking about earlier, which is the fact that Dorian's son is still alive and in Kakariko Village. And there's like, you know, he's got some... He has two kids. Oh uh, well, the the one I always run into is the one that's up by the shrine. But anyway, um, yeah. So like, and 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 there's some very sad dialogue that kind of happens there once you know the backstory of like, well, their mom is dead and their dad is going through this horrible thing. Um, and I I just think that Dorian as a character who uh you know has gone through this sordid backstory and has now come through to a moment of redemption. Um, and 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 is a good person ostensibly Mm -hmm. that link agrees to help keep the secret of all these terrible things that have happened. I I just thought that it was a good moment. Um, Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, Dorian just from inference and really not inference really. It's his whole story is redemption fall redemption. Right. So like, He's gone, he's gone through it, and you have to imagine that he hasn't really even been able to fully grieve the loss of his wife because he's been living under this shadow of threat, right? So um, I do really appreciate that we're able to give him some sense of peace and closure by kind of helping him escape from this vicious cycle that he's found himself in,
1: Absolutely. really through
0: no fault of his own. Well, I mean, he was... A- an assassin, but I mean, the inference there is that he was born into it. I mean, okay, that's fair. That's fair. <coughs> that's a good point. All right, uh, but yes, Dorian the Sheikah guard is my uh, is my Z targeting with a uh, honorable mention for the six uh, Sheikah monks with who who might or might not be the sages <laughs> or at least the spirit of the sages but yes, no sure. totally agree uh fantastic honorable mention man that chamber where you upgrade your master sword <laughs> was really cool wasn't it's, it it's like giant cerebro giant it, it cerebro. oh good good x-men reference thank you that's a that's a dark horse reference we it's, haven't had one of those it's huge i mean that chamber is massive. massive dude that thing is like i on as i was walking up the uh the parapets or the stairs i was like tilted the camera all the way down and I was like this place is crazy. I've never tried doing this before but I'm wondering if you like to what extent can you like paraglide around in that you know. Oh I'm sure if you got all the way up to the top you could like paraglide down to the at least the middle level. Yeah I'm sure. sure. I've never tried it because I'm just interested in getting it over with. I know right. (laughs) All right, well Matt that brings us to part six which is our final thoughts where (sighs) we let you wrap up this section of the game, you know it's coming every week. I know. I mean, like, like it never changes, you never get it. Yeah, I know, out but it. like some weeks it's easier than others, and this week I'm struggling. Mm. All right. Well, it's still it's still up to you, Matt. Um Breath of the Wild can in many ways be described as a game that is full of loose ends and side quests. This section of the game brings Lyndon and I and anybody who's playing along with us to a penultimate season of preparation for the final confrontation with Calamity Ganon. We have successfully increased our own personal power to its absolute height. We've successfully gotten the Master Sword to its purest and final form, and we have unlocked the emotional Backstories of many amazing characters. And throughout the entire journey that we've gone through with the Divine Beasts and the Champions and the Shrines and uh, the multitude of characters that we've met along the way, we have now finally positioned ourselves in every possible way to be successful in our campaign against Calamity Ganon. And we find ourselves at the end of this section of game facing that final trial with everything that we can feasibly have in our arsenal ready to go And uh, I think we're set for a really fantastic conclusion to this epic journey that we've been on. And with that, that brings us to the end of the sacred realms rundown. We will of course be back next week with another installment of the sacred realms rundown covering chapter 16 of breath of the wild, uh, which will document our, uh, our journey through Hyrule castle and the ending of this game. Um, I think that Sacred Realms run-on is probably going to be a little interesting because we're not going to have, like, a dungeon map or shrine. I I guess the dungeon map will be about Hyrule Hyrule Castle. Castle, But, like, we're not – probably not going to have too many, like – bloopy trails or anything i would say we're gonna have zero bloopy trails (laughs) so we'll see we'll see we'll see how we manage to fill that time regardless we have got one more week um of game content and then on to the rating and the review uh and i cannot wait to get to the end of it with you matt i mean like seriously i'm so excited to get into hyrule castle and and get into the closing stages of this game because i have such fond memories of it oh absolutely i i think this is other than the final battle, uh, this is one of the most fun endings to a Zelda game uh, that that there is. I think Hyrule Castle offers just a breadth of opportunity to do a lot of really fun things. And I'm interested to see how we tackle it, um, because I definitely have a thought on how I'm going to tackle it this time around. And I think it's going to be a little bit different than the way that I've tackled it previously. So I'm excited to get into it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh we're going to have to wait another week before we get into that. I think uh, in the meantime, Matt, I'm ready to get out of here. It's late and uh, in addition to being late, it's 92 degrees outside, so yeah, it's gross. Yeah, no, it's it's still really hot at 11:30 at night, which is uh, like ugh, blech. I'm not about this. I'm absolutely just not about this. Hey, maybe maybe next week it'll be 75. Uh, yeah, I doubt that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, let's go ahead and close this one out for the week. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. Got no rupees. It is not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild, Chapter 16. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Breath of the Wild can be played on the Nintendo Wii U or the Nintendo Switch. In the meantime, however, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and GameChops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.